Okay, so um, today I'm going to continue in the series, Enter God's Rest, and this is part seven. And this it will be the last part. We talked about before why did the Israelites couldn't enter into the promised land, why they couldn't uh, enter into the rest of God. And one of the things and the biggest obstacle to them was unbelief and rebellion. That was one of the reasons, one, actually the main reason why they could not enter the promised land and enter into God's rest. And um, then I talked about what it takes to enter God's rest. And I talk about faith and what it takes to remain in God's rest. And that also requires faith. So I'm going to start, and you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, that's where the, the main text for this whole series. So I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And the word of God says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and interestingly, he said says, which means current, not said, he said says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So before I said there were things that prevented the people of children of Israel from entering into God's rest. And it states in the scriptures here, he was angry with them because they were, their hearts were hard and they were rebellious. And because of that, that God said, they never knew my ways or they don't know me. That's why they always go astray because they don't know me. They don't have intimacy with me. So because of that, and he always given them opportunity, opportunity, and opportunities to repent, come back to him, which, ha- which always has happened, but they always go straight. And he said, be- because of that, because of their rebellious heart and rebellious nature, they were not en- able to enter into the promised land, which is a place of rest. The word rest means to abide, to settle down, repose, or reposing down. And the word repose means to be in a state of tranquility. So entering into the promised land was to take the children of Israel from their, from wandering the wilderness. And God was taking them into a place where they can live at peace, abide, settle down, and be in a state of tranquility. Now that is the natural rest. Now the rest that we are talking about now And if you go back and read Hebrews chapter 4, which we're not going to do now, I covered that uh, in the previous um, messages. The rest we have now is not a physical rest only. It's a spiritual rest. Because it talked about another day, which this rest is supposed to, to occur. So that is referring to us living now in a state of tranquility. And that refers to us living in a relationship with God where our conscience can be at ease or at rest in God's presence. That's the rest we're talking about. Living with a clear conscience and knowing that we are reconciled to God and that we are loved by God. We are no longer enemies with God. 
All right. So the last time I said, I talked about uh, what it takes us to enter the rest, and I talk about faith. And today I'm going to give an example of faith. So to, we enter into God's rest by faith, and we stay in God's rest by faith. When I say stay, we live in a state of tranquility. We live in a state where we are at peace, where we are calm. So we now, when this new covenant, the modern day Christian or the, the Christians of now, these are the people on the line with me right now. If you are in Christ, you have the ability and the promise by God through Christ to live in a state of rest, to live in a state of tranquility, to live in a state where you are at peace, where you are not anxious, worried about anything. I don't care about coronavirus. I don't care what happened to our 401k. I don't care about losing my job or not losing my job. We are to live in a state of rest, in a state of tranquility. Amen. That's how we're supposed to be living. That is the rest that Jesus was talking about. We'll talk about in this scripture and also where Jesus talked about that the peace that he would give us, not the world's peace, the peace that he would give us is a peace where we live in a state of rest because he walked in rest with the father because he knew something and he had a relationship with his father. That's why he was able to live in rest. All right. So in Christ, as I said, we have a better covenant and therefore an opportunity for the true rest, which God always wanted for his people. When a person comes to Christ by faith, because we are saved by faith, Christ enters into, into that person and that person enters into rest. There's a calming of the conscience and reconciliation with God. That person realizes and experiences the forgiveness compassion, and mercy of God. There is a love and devotion through the experience of rest. And that rest is internal, spirit to spirit. The Holy Spirit with the human spirit and where the soul is free from guilt and condemnation. Why? Because we are in Christ and our fellowship is with the Father through Christ. Now, the key to staying in rest is, to, prove, as I said, to be free of guilt and condemnation by always walking in the light. What does walking in the light mean? To walk in God's ways. As it said in Hebrews chapter 3, it says here, they have not known my ways. They don't know my ways, so they never walked in the light. They never walked in my ways because they didn't know me. That's why there was unbelief and a rebellious heart. So we, if we walk in God's ways, we will be free of guilt and condemnation. But the only way you can God walk in God's ways, you have to know him. You can't walk in God's ways if you don't know him, if you don't, don't know his character, and if you don't know his way. You, you just can't do it. So our own efforts are not enough we have to depend on the power of God, which we have access only through Jesus Christ. As I said, we enter God's rest by faith and we remain by faith. To remain requires us to build up our faith. So I touched on that last week. And actually what I'm talking about now is a recap from last week. 
We need to build up our faith. And what it takes to build up our faith and strengthen our faith. Number one, knowing the Heavenly Father. Your faith cannot be strong if you can't, don't know the Father. If you don't know the Father, if you don't know the Father through the Son, how can you trust someone you don't know? So you have to know him. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, don't turn there, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God and his word are one. Jesus is the word of God manifest in the flesh. God and his word are one. God doesn't separate himself from his own word. He and his word are one. So man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. So when you know God's word, you will know him. You know his character and you will know his ways. And it'll be very difficult for people to deceive you when they say that the Lord said. It'll be very difficult because if you know your father and you know his character and you know his ways, you will actually know when somebody is trying to deceive you. You will know it. So when you know his character and his ways, you therefore know who he is. Number two, the word of God must be the truth. We must believe it. Let it govern our lives. And in Psalm 119, 105, the word of God says, your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That is self-explanatory, but it says your word shines the way and how I ought to live. And when I understand that word and I walk in that understanding, I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in your ways. Number three, to build up your faith, we must meditate on the word of God. We must be in prayer and fellowship with the saints. Meditate on the word. Meditate means to mutter. Well, the word means to mutter under your breath. But it means to think of and keep rehearsing that word in your mind. But you can only meditate on what you know. If you don't read the word, you cannot meditate on what you don't know. But as you read, as you understand, as you meditate, the Spirit of God will give you understanding of what you have read. Amen. I'm not going to go into detail. This is not the venue for that. And then we have to learn to communicate with the Word. Prayer is the way we learn to communicate with the Lord, through prayer. We not only speak to Him, but we wait and allow Him to speak to us. It could be through His Word or by His Spirit in us. Okay? And the third and part three of that is fellowship. You build your faith when you fellowship with the brethren because we all have different gifts and we need one another. I am sharing my gift with you all and you all have gifts which you have to develop and share with each other and me to build me up, to build up each other because we all need each other. And when you exercise your gift, God empowers you to walk in that gifting. You don't get the anointing when you don't act, walk by faith. Because faith without corresponding action is dead. You can know something, you can believe something, but if you don't act on it, God will not empower you by the Spirit with that gift because you're not, you're not using it, you're sitting on it. Because if you're not using it, there's no need for God's power, if you understand that. And the last part, number four, to build up your faith, 
You need to act on the word of God because faith without work is dead. Faith without corresponding action is dead faith. I just touched on that just now. So we have to have the courage to obey the word of God. The courage to obey. Many times there are things we will be asked to do when we read the word or things that we would, by the spirit, would be prompted to do. Sometimes it's not the things we want to do. But if you say you love Jesus and you said you are dead to yourself and you belong to God, you have to have the courage now to do what you do not want to do. Because when you submit to God and do what he doesn't want, what you don't want to do, God gives you the grace now. What is grace? The power to do what you don't want to do. He graces you to do it. Because it's not your strength, it's his strength in you, enabling you to do what you do not want to do. And what you, in your own strength, don't have the power to do it. All right, so that is kind of like a little recap of what I talked about last week. And today, I'm just going to um, just quickly uh, refer to um, what it takes to stay in God's rest. Because I'm telling you. The Bible clearly says, and Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 4, and if you read in other parts of the scriptures in the book of Revelation, it's not going to get easier in this world. I don't care what anybody says. I just go by what the word of God says. And from what I can see, from my understanding, and those who study the Bible, we can see that what Jesus said in Matthew 24 is coming to pass. He said, in the last days, perilous times will come. The analogy the Bible used is like birth pain. For women who have had children, you know, when you get the first contraction, it might be 10, 15 minutes apart. But the closer and closer you get to delivery, the contractions are more frequent and they are harder. They are more intense. And that is what's happening on the earth. Things are just happening more and more frequently and more intensely. So we as children of God, if you understand what is happening, if you know the signs of the times, there's no need for you to fear. So I'd like you to turn in your books to Matthew chapter eight, and then we will also go to Luke chapter seven, Matthew chapter eight, verses five through 10 and verse 13. And then we'll go to Luke chapter seven, verses one through 10. These are two accounts that I want to read. And then I'm going to talk about this, uh, this example. And this has to do with the centurion. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes, and to another come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, 
I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now let's go to verse, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way and you, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now in Luke chapter 7, there is another account, but it's a little different. Luke chapter 7, verses 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So now we are seeing, getting a little different description of what is really happening here. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he come. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Now, just a couple of things I want to point out here. And first, I want to let you understand that, you know, you just cannot read through this simply to get the understanding. You have to understand the players that are involved, what their reputation and what their authority is, and how and what it took for them to do the things that, that, they're, that they were doing in this, in this context, in this story. So first, let me tell you a little bit about the centurion. Now, a centurion was a professional soldier of the Roman army. Rome occupied Judea and Galilee, the land, and this land of Israel. Rome was the authoritative power at that time. So they sent, they had their armies there. Now, a centurion, a centurion was a professional soldier of the Roman army. The word centurion meant captain of 100 and the centurion usually commanded around 80 legionnaires or soldiers but could be 200 to even up to a thousand the ordinary duties of a centurion were to drill his men inspect their arms food and clothing to command them in the camp and in the field the point is that a centurion was in command of soldiers and he had servants he didn't have one servant. He had servants. Now, what was interesting about this story is that centurion's love for this particular servant and the lengths he was willing to go to help this servant. Understand that a centurion is a leader in the Roman army and not subject 
to the laws of for, of the laws of, of the Jews. If anything, the Jews had to be subject to the laws of Rome. But the centurions and their army were there to keep peace, to make sure that the 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 interests of Rome are carried out, the interests of Rome are satisfied, and also to keep peace in the region. They were not there to 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 uh cuddle the, the, the Jews. They were just there because of their own interests. So a centurion, as you can see in this story, cared very much for this particular servant. Because if you look at it in Luke chapter 7, this, it said that the, the servant was sick and he was dying. And this servant was dear to the centurion. But what I also want to say here is that they also said that the centurion sent the elders of the Jews to meet Jesus. So understand that as a, as a centurion, Jesus was no, was not a surprise or not unknown to the centurions, to Roman, because Jesus was famous and he always had a crowd with him. And if you read here, if you read in this context, it talks about a crowd was with him, was following Jesus. So Jesus was not unknown to this centurion. This centurion just never met him, but he knew of him. All right, so I wanted to put that in there. There's no way that a person with this following would not be known by the army of Rome. So the centurion was in a, a situation where he's desperate. I'm sure he had, they had their doctors, their Roman doctors, and even Jewish doctors to try and help his servant. This servant who was dear to him, but there was nothing they can do. So hearing about Jesus, about this holy man, he sent elders of the Jewish nation in Capernaum to get Jesus's attention because somehow they knew Jesus was in Capernaum. So he sent elders to speak to Jesus, to have him to come and help his servant. So I'm going to pick it up in verse, in verse four, where the Jews says, they begged Jesus earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. And he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then at verse six, it's, verse six, it says, Jesus went with them. Now let me just make it clear. Jesus doesn't go with them because of the good deeds of this centurion for the Jewish people. Jesus went because he was led. He said, I only do what the father tells me, shows, what shows me, and I say what he tells me to say. Jesus went because he was led by the spirit to go. Because there was something, there was an object lesson that the father wanted to express through his son. So let me get that straight. I don't care what, the, what you know, what they said about how good he, how good this centurion was with to the Jewish people. He always good to us. He built us a synagogue. No, Jesus didn't care about that. Jesus went because he was led. So let's get that straight. So let us be cognizant of that also. Let us not be flattered by people and respond because of their flattery. Let us respond because this is what the Lord expects us to do or wants us to do. Because the heart in which you do something matters to God. Understand that this centurion was desperate. 
And Jesus, wherever he went, he went with a crowd. And in this instance, for the centurion, Jesus was his last hope. So the centurion, in his desperation, sent the Jewish elders to receive Jesus. And Jesus was on his way now to heal the servant. On his way, the centurion sent messengers to say, to tell Jesus, listen, I'm not worthy. As it says here in verse 6, he sent friends to Jesus telling Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. So I'm not good enough. My house is not good enough for you to come in. I am not worthy. I am also not worthy to even be in your presence to come to you. So all I need you to do, all I'm asking you to do in verse 7 is to say the word and my servant will be healed. All you have to do is say it and I know that my servant will be healed. And the next verse, the centurion explains why he made that statement in verse 7. He said, I also am a man placed under authority having soldiers unto me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, something very important we need to understand from that. The centurion, as he explained, it takes only one word from Jesus to make his request, the centurion's request, come to pass. All it takes is one word. Now, why? Does the centurion say that? The centurion says that because he understands authority. He said, I have authority and I tell my soldiers to do this and it's done and my servants to do that and it's done. I understand authority. In this circumstance, I do not have authority. I need your help because I recognize your authority in these types of situations. I don't have the authority. You have the authority. So I am asking you to say the word or a word, and I know what you say is going to manifest because I understand authority because I am a man under authority. And what I say will happen because my word is has power. What I declare will happen. Because I have the authority. It's the same way with Jesus. You speak the word. You don't even have to come to my house. All you have to do is say the word and what you say will happen. That is the confidence I have in your authority in who you are. So understand, the centurion recognized Jesus' authority and his lordship. Authority means what? Power, control, or influence. And lordship, his supreme power or rule. Jesus, he recognized that he as a centurion has authority. He has power over situations and influence over people and things. In this instance, he went to the one who has authority to heal his servant. The one who has authority over spiritual things. Who is Jesus? He recognized Jesus' authority and lordship. So he knows 
when Jesus speaks, what he said will manifest, will come to pass. Very important, recognizing the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So he knows the one who has the power to change the fate of his servant is the one that he has been called upon, that called, he called upon to speak a word. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus marveled at the centurion's response because he realized that the centurion not only understands authority, but he understood who has the authority and who can execute. Because, how did he know? Because the centurion sent for him and declared his authority. He understood Jesus' authority. That's why he sent for him. The centurion wasn't confused. He wasn't double-minded. He knew. He sent for this man, Jesus, because he knew Jesus can do something about the situation of his servant. And verse 13 in Matthew, it says, As Jesus said, as you have believed, as you have demonstrated your belief, your understanding in my authority and in your belief that what I say will manifest, let it be so. I believe Jesus didn't have to say the word because the centurion already declared in his confession what he knew to be true about Jesus Christ. So all had, all that had to happen, Jesus already knew because of the centurion's faith the servant was already, healing was already sent to that servant because of the faith of the, of the centurion. The servant, as I said, in that same hour was healed. So what is the important lesson? The centurion received what he asked for because he believed. We enter into God's rest because we believe. The centurion didn't only believe. He knew something about the authority of Jesus. He had no doubt because what he knew about Jesus is that Jesus had the authority in this situation to do something about the fate of his servant. He never wavered because he recognized Jesus' authority and lordship. He showed great faith. And what is that great faith he showed? In understanding that the power that Jesus had to change the situation concerning his servant. He recognized that. He didn't doubt it. This message is about staying in God's rest. To stay in God's rest. To stay in a state of tranquility. To stay in a state of peace. To stay in a state of calm. Requires faith, as I said, strong faith. And I said, in the times we are living in, we need strong faith. You can't be weak in faith. You have to have strong faith. We have to build up our faith. We cannot be weak. If our faith is weak or we have no faith, we will easily get run over and strangled by fear. If we say we believe in Jesus, we must recognize his authority and his lordship. And I, when I say, I don't mean a mental recognition. I mean, you got to know it in your heart. You got to know that. You have to know it. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, I'm going to read it for you. He said, now listen to this. 
This is the word of God made flesh, speaking about himself, about what is and what is to come. And that's recorded for us now in time and space so that we could read what he said. It says it in Jesus, uh, John chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. Jesus is speaking, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my father. Now he's saying this because he knows that he is going to die soon. So he said, greater works you would do because I go to my father. And he said, whatever you ask, when I go to the father, in my name, whatever you ask, the father in my name, that I will do. That the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let me qualify anything. Anything in line with God's will for our lives. If you ask selfish things, God don't answer. Jesus will not answer selfish prayers. If you ask for things to consume on your own lust, he will not answer those prayers. He answers the prayers that are in line with God's will for your life. And we have the authority to use his name. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. So you, if you believe his authority, because Jesus said in another scripture, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. He said, I and my Father are one. He said, the glory, Father, you have given me. No, I have given them. So when they ask in my name, I will do it. Why? Because you, Father, would be glorified through me, through them, as they asked in my name. So the thing about this now, what Jesus is telling us, he said, ask in his name. But you have to understand, when you ask, you have to understand his authority and his lordship. If you believe, as the centurion believed, in his lordship and his authority, you know what you ask for will be done. <laughs> Glory to God. You already know what you ask for is going to be done. Why? Because you understand his lordship and you understand his authority. And we have been given permission to ask the Father in his name for what we need. So he will do it. Why? Because he said it here. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. If God and his word are one, God will never go against his word. Listen, faith is more than a simple belief in God. It's a conviction so powerful, it changes your heart. The centurion knew that Jesus had the power to save his servant. He was not worried about the outcome. He said, just say the word. Say a word. And it's done. The centurion was in a state of tranquility. Why? Because he knew when Jesus had the authority to change the circumstances of his servant. He said, say the word. It's done. So he was at peace. He was in a state of tranquility. To understand, we're recognizing Jesus' authority. 
we must know who we are in relation to Jesus Christ. He's the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He is the one through whom we have been washed in his blood and we have access to the Father through him. And he has authority in heaven and in earth. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go in all the world and preach the good news. So that authority has been given to us. We have a better covenant. We are in Christ. And Jesus said here, whatever we ask in his name, he will do it. We can live in rest knowing that the one who saved us, the one who are, we are in, has given us the authority to use his name. So when we ask in his name, we know what we ask for is done. We shouldn't be second guessing. We shouldn't be biting our, our nails. We shouldn't be nervous or anxious about anything because we know who we trust in. We know in, who we be, in whom we believe. We know his word is true and God and his word are one. What he says will be done. But this is where our faith needs to be like the faith of the centurion, where we understand his authority and we know our authority in him. That what we ask for in faith, believing that we will receive it, that we will have what we believe. Because faith to be profitable for us, to benefit us, to bring glory to God, that faith requires a heart that's open. It requires a heart, that, a heart that's yielded. It requires a heart that is pliable, that is flexible, that is willing to say, Lord, not my way. I will do it your way. Because that's why it said in Hebrews chapter 3, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because, Lord, I know your ways. I am willing to die and do it your way. No matter what I, how I feel, I'm willing to do it your way so I can enter into rest. Because when I enter into rest, I know the responsibility is not mine. It's yours, yours, Lord, to act upon your own word, to back up your word. The responsibility is yours. So I can rest knowing that you have the authority and the power, your lordship. I trust you to do what you say you will do when I ask in faith.